Just don't don't push it if it's you don't know what it does. I don't I don't know what any of this does. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the official podcast of the Chicago Maroons Arts Section. I'll be your host. My name is Max Miller, third year fundamentals major, 20th year disappointment. We've got quite a lineup for you today as we've been running all over Hyde Park to bring you the latest in arts, culture, and entertainment news. I'm here now with Sean Park. Hi guys, how you doing? Samuel Landon. Hello. And Parker Me, the incredible Parker Me, will be editing to make sure I don't sound too much like a 12-year-old. So a lot of people for some reason have been telling me that they don't know what an alternate reality game is. So to educate all of you uncultured swine, we went to Associate Professor Patrick Jagoda, one of the three faculty members who were the architects of this year's alternate reality game, which is an interactive introduction to Chicago culture for the incoming first year. This game took place over the course of the orientation week for new students and transformed what would normally be a rote and uninteresting orientation into a scavenger hunt type of exploratory experience. Not a virtual reality game, not an augmented reality game, but something entirely different. Okay, so my explanation is kind of limited, so let's listen to what Patrick Jagoda had to say on the matter. Uh, my name is Patrick Jagoda. I'm an associate professor of English and cinema media studies at the University of Chicago. So my first question is, what is an alternate reality game? Uh, so it's exactly that. It's an, it's an alternate reality game. Um, so it's kind of like a heavily mediated scavenger hunt. Uh, it's different from a scavenger hunt in the sense that you have one narrative that stretches across um, the entirety of the experience. So in a scavenger hunt, you might have to find a number of items, but there isn't necessarily a deep story. There is a deep story in this case. There's also a transmedia component to ARGS. So you're jumping between email and social media networks and live performance and many other media. And then the last component is it has a, I mean, ARGS tend to have a this is not a game aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, and so they don't announce themselves as games. Um, you just kind of slip into the experience through what are called uh, rabbit holes. Um, so you might get an email from a character or you might get friended via Facebook and you find your way into the experience that way. Yeah. Why was it called Parasite too? Well, I mean, there were a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of them had to do with the fact that a number of the designers were reading uh, Michelle Serre's uh, theory text, The, the Parasites, um, which had to do with uh, different forms of kind of changing a social system. And we were really interested in creating this ARG as a way of creating new kinds of conversations on campus and hopefully changing campus climate. Okay. So what was your favorite part of the execution of the ARG? I would say my, my favorite part was working with a transdisciplinary team. Um, so it was really exciting just to see the, the various things that people came up with. So um, at one point, uh, a few of our designers, uh, uh, Jesse Martinez, who's an undergraduate, um, Peter McDonald, who's a grad student, uh, Zoe Smith, who's a grad student, came up with this uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which was an allegory of the ARG itself that a bunch of the players then played over Google Hangouts. Um, so seeing them put together this like 35-page D&D campaign was really amazing. Or, um, or for instance, um, we you know there's like a heavy performance piece that a lot of actors from the theater and performance studies um, group um, helped us produce. Um, and working very closely with Heidi Coleman was really a key part of that. 
Um, there was a twine narrative that India Weston and I created. Um, basically, it was, it was just interesting to see people coming from all these different backgrounds and, and putting together uh, uh, interesting work. And also seeing the players themselves um, create you know, user-generated content. So uh, one, of, one of the players, for instance, created like an original song um, on YouTube um, or posted it on YouTube uh, that was basically like uh, going over the, uh, the, the entire narrative. Well, that was certainly a trip, learning about all these alternate realities and whatnot. I feel as disoriented as when I first stepped out of my freshman remedial math class. All right, so now we'll be hearing from Katie Bevel, a UChicago student actress who recently performed in the play As You Like It on campus. Who, who did you play as? I played Orlando. Orlando Bloom? <laughs> Just Orlando. Um, that's Orlando. all we know about him. But he is the male lead. Mm, okay. The male lead. Was that a stretch for you? Not really. Um, I've played male characters in the past. I've played women playing men in the past also. Mm. And the whole show was just kind of gender and sexuality out the window. Um, other than me, all the characters, all the actors played characters who were the gender that they presented as, mm. as opposed to the genders from the original script. So all of the pairings, like romantically, was done without regard for gender. Does that impact the story of the play? Yeah, so it was set, um, our director Emily Lynch set it in 1968, Summer of Love, California. So um, kind of entering the Forest of Arden, which is like the plot of the show, where like, you know they go from the court into the forest, and that's when everything like starts to get real. Um, entering the forest was kind of like a liberation from society in that sense. So having um, characters portrayed in a way without regard for the gender and the sexuality of the characters in the original script was, it tied really well into that theme. Mm. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Shakespeare's canon, can you describe sort of the story very quickly about As You Like It? Yeah, As You Like It. So um, the two main characters you're going to get are Rosalind and Orlando, um, who, like, the main story is them falling in love. Uh, Rosalind and her cousin Celia live at the court with Celia's father. Rosalind's father was the duke. He has been banished by Celia's father. Um, and then Rosalind gets banished also, so they enter the forest. At the same time, Orlando has entered the forest because his brother is trying to murder him. Um, so everyone's in the forest together, and there are, like, four love plots happening at the same time. And Rosalind is dressed up as a guy named Ganymede to, um, make sure they aren't, like, caught or, like, attacked in the forest. Um, and so Orlando starts to get to know Ganymede and meet him, but doesn't realize it's Rosalind, who he's previously fallen in love with, and it's this whole thing where he's, like, super angsty about the fact that, like, the girl he loves is gone, but also he feels, like, this weird attraction to this random guy, and he doesn't really understand what's going on. So, what was your favorite part of the play? Wow. Like, the favorite part of the script, or just the experience overall? The experience. I personally haven't done Shakespeare in a while. The first Shakespeare show I did was my freshman year of high school. Yikes. I played Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. So going back to um, a style of writing and acting that I had been estranged from for so long was very interesting to me, especially that I have developed as an actor since then. So it was interesting to, and especially since there are so many talented actors in UT and so many talented actors on the show, like everyone, every single actor was amazing. Um, so learning from other people and learning from the director, um, just like how best to deliver lines that aren't the way we speak is really interesting to me as an actor, and I felt as if everyone really grew throughout the process. Now, 
Sam Landon, co-host, will tell us all about the piece he reviewed, which is called Song, a Solo Exhibition in the Renaissance Society, which is, by the way, conveniently located on the fourth floor of the delightful Cobb Hall. Take it away. So yeah, Song is a new work. It opened on November 18th by the Uruguayan artist Alejandro Cesarco. So what does this exhibit involve? So this exhibit primarily revolves around the ideas of interpretation and how that changes over time and sort of the impermanence of both interpretation and time itself. Wow. That's yeah. That's weighty. That's it's, it is, it's some weighty stuff, but it's, it's not too weighty. It's not too weighty. Um, so the first thing that you see when you enter is this large white wall with a single very faint pink rectangle on it. Um, so faint that initially you don't necessarily even think that it, it is truly there. Uh, this is the first piece uh, of the exhibit called The Dreams I've Left Behind. Um, and the artist described it as if the gallery wall were blushing, sort of because it's... because it, what? What, is, what does he mean by that? What he means by that is that the entire exhibit, by its very nature, in being about interpretation, about the nature of time, and about how that changes, is a very personal topic, you know, because interpretation, by definition, is unique to the individual. Mm -hmm. So in talking about that and having pieces relating to that, he is sort of letting you step behind this this wall, step into kind of into his mind even, um, and that is kind of an embarrassing thing. But once you literally move past that in the exhibit, you get to see his thoughts about interpretation and the necessity of that change. Okay, so once you move beyond that sort of veil, the first thing you see is an older work that the artist did called Everness, and in this work, which is a video, it's a black and white film transferred over to digital. Um, it's an image of a young man in sort of a wide shot talking about the nature of literary tragedy and about how it arises from the hero being given a piece of information or a clue or something and not interpreting it correctly. Um, again, relating to that theme of interpretation and its necessity. Um, is this in English, by the way? No, it is not. That is a good point to mention, is that these these films, or all of the films in the exhibit that have speech and sound, while they are not in English, but they, they have subtitles, so no, no meaning was lost, and the artist was closely involved in setting the exhibit up, so presumably the translation is accurate. And as this young man is speaking about the necessity of interpretation and correct interpretation, he's, he's sort of looking up, he's sort of... He's not pausing very often. It seems almost like it's, it's rehearsed. It seems like this is something that he's been told. Mm -hmm. And later on, as you progress through the rest of the exhibit, you come to a film called Revision. Um, it's a much closer shot. It's in color. It's of an older actor reciting the same piece, again, about the nature of literary tragedy. Um, and when he speaks of it, and when he speaks of it, he takes much longer pauses. You can tell that they're clearly edited down, um, these pauses. He looks off to the side or even down, almost like he's looking inward, like he's speaking from a personal experience of the necessity of this interpretation, something that hasn't been told to him, but something that he's learned firsthand. Wow. Um, really yeah, yeah, it's very deep. It, there's, there's also, throughout both of those, in just the general piece that they're speaking from, um, there's this idea that literally within literary tragedy, uh, the interpretation is so, ne is so necessary that... that the, the quote is that there's a life at stake. It's, it's interpret this correctly or you die. Um, and that within literary tragedy, that death comes from the inflexibility or inability to reach an agreement. Um, sort of speaking to a broader idea of 
seeing interpretation and understanding what, what that intention is. Well, that's it for this week from the Chicago Maroon Arts Camp. Once again, I've been your host, Max Miller, and thank you very much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, or you just want to clean your ears of my voice with literally anything else, make sure to listen to our partner podcasts through the Maroon, like Maroon Weekly, our news podcast, Office Hours, where we interview faculty about academia, and This Reg Life, featuring exclusive interviews with random students who are just trying to study in the Regenstein Library. (laughs) 